Welcome to the Goddesses of Social Work podcast, hosted by Renita Ray Davis, licensed clinical social worker, board-approved social work clinical supervisor, and facilitator of the Goddesses of Social Work supervision community. Join us as we travel through the social work journeys told by the Goddesses of Social Work community members, past and present, as they make their way toward clinical licensure. Welcome to the Goddesses of Social Work podcast. In today's episode, Christina Arnold, LMSW, has joined us. Christina Arnold is a licensed master social worker from Alabama with over 10 years of experience working in the social services field. Christina obtained both her bachelor's degree in social work and her master's degree in social work from Troy University. Christina is committed to making a difference in the lives of individuals and communities. She has developed a passion for working with at-risk youth as she currently works for the Alabama Department of Youth Services. Christina is a wife and the mother of her beautiful art-loving eight-year-old daughter. She also has a passion and love for music as she currently serves as the worship pastor at Living Word Fellowship Church. Christina is currently pursuing her LICSW and is excited about her future in the profession. Welcome, Christina. I'm super excited to have you on the show today. Thanks, Renita, for having me. I am so excited and looking forward to this conversation just to kind of, you know, tell my story and share with the people in the goddesses. So thanks for the invitation. Awesome. I'm so glad. And we're excited to hear your story. Christina, when I was reading your bio, I loved hearing about your creative side your passion for music, and your art-loving daughter. Social work can make one hard around the edges, you know. How do you stay soft to the flow of creativity? I love this question. Um, I'm very intentional um, because music and art in general is just a passion of my and my family. Um, We use the arts to kind of bond so just kind of be present, especially um, being in the social work profession. Like you mentioned, it is very rough around the edges and lots of days you come home after having a hard day. Um, music is a wonderful way to just kind of decompress. And the fact that I can share that with my family is just even better. So it's it's almost like a double when it's self-care for me, but also a way of connecting disconnected from work but connected with my family so we just love it all the way from music to the paintings to movies I mean every aspect of art our house is just an art house so we love all of it I love that so much I was thinking of um my sister who is a music therapist she's a licensed uh, music therapist in New York and how music has infused her career as we are about to ask you about your social work journey, I'm wondering, do you see how presently music has been throughout your career and or can you see yourself um, using music in your career with social work? And go ahead and let that let that lead into tell us about your social work journey. Okay, absolutely. I definitely feel music is definitely pivotal in my social work journey. Um, Actually, I love to use it as a form of engagement, especially with my clients, building that rapport and just kind of, you know, 
building up to just making that connection professionally. Uh, I love, that's one of my leading questions. What's your favorite type of music? And it just goes from there. Because again, I feel that music brings us together and it's kind of initially maybe a little off-pitting because that's not what your client's expecting. But once they get involved and get engaged and find that, again, connecting point, it just makes going into the actual service or whatever we're providing, treatment provided to them, just kind of flow a lot easier. Um, just to give you a little bit of my social work journey, um, I started education. First of all, I was always exposed to social work, but I never planned to be a social worker, if that makes sense. Um, growing up, my parents were foster parents. Um, they still currently are foster parents for 22, 23 years. And so I was exposed to social work very early. And I saw so many opportunities <laughs> where um, good and some not so good. And so um, right out of high school, I kind of took one of those standardized um, tests like the ASVAB, and I scored highest in the humanitarian section. And so when I got to college, the first year, I didn't even declare a major because I did not know what I wanted to do. And although I had been exposed to social work, that wasn't necessarily my first choice. But um, like I said, the first year of college, I kind of just took general classes. And I believe intro to social work was one of them just because I talked to my advisor and they kind of just suggested it. And then so it made me remember the uh, actual test that I took back in high school. And so I took intro to social work and I actually kind of liked it. I said, oh, this feels like me. And for the first time, I kind of felt like I belong. So my sophomore year, that's when I declared my major. And that just kind of started me there. Um, just professionally since graduating, um, like I said, right after my bachelor's, I initially had like kind of like a, a hard time finding a job. I did do some time at a residential treatment facility for a few years, and then I kind of found my way to the Department of Human Resources after that, where I got a vast of experience. And that just kind of, um, at that time, I um, worked my way up, got some supervisory experience as well, too. So I just got to work with both young and the adult population. So I was very um, pleasantly surprised. But like you read in my bio, I just, for whatever reason, gravitated towards the young people. That's just kind of been like my niche, my calling. So um, like I said, I did some time at the Department of Human Resources. And once I felt that it was time for me to transition again, that's why I find myself here at the Department of Youth Services. So I kind of get to work with my kids is in a different arena so that's pretty much a little bit of my journey I'm still excited because I'm learning so much even now just kind of seeing different areas and different um, jobs or opportunities in the social work still working with young people so I'm just looking forward to exploring some more learning some more and see what's to come in the future I love that that was really good so I I want to back up a little bit I okay. love that you were able to take a class, fell in love. I hear, I keep hearing that. I thought it was just me. I fell in love with social work, with social work one-on-one class as well, right? Didn't know what it was. And then yes. out of that class and it was like, oh, this is me. You graduated and you said with your BSW, you went on into a group home and then to the Department of Human Resources. I want to know when did the thought, idea, the leap to go ahead and jump into that MSW degree, when did that happen for you on your journey? That's actually a funny story. So 
like I mentioned before, um, with my bachelor's, it wasn't really many opportunities, um, just a lot of entry-level positions. So once I've gotten at the Department of Human Resources, I saw some of the positions that I was actually interested in did require higher level learning. And so um, initially, right after my bachelor's level, I did go back to postgraduate school, but it actually wasn't for social work. It was for counseling. <laughs> and so I've always, um, growing up, I was always the person that people would come to for advice. And again, I like social work undergrads, but I just kind of want to, you know, have multiple experiences. And so I thought initially counseling was my route and go-to, um, but I ended up getting pregnant. <laughs> and so I actually took a seven-year gap. And so, um, yes, I worked and I worked and I just um, was, again, it was so many opportunities of just um, wanting more, wanting different challenges. And so I finally went back and got my master's um, back, oh, wow, 2020, 2021. And it was the best decision ever. <laughs> um, it was funny because um, before I get my master's, I never really was interested in licensure. I didn't go for my bachelor's level. I just kind of just wanted to, like people say all the time in this profession, help people. <laughs> and so, um, but like I said, just kind of working in the field and being exposed, I wanted to make an impact on a larger, more macro level. And I felt like the best way of doing that was getting my master's and also becoming licensed. So that's kind of how I got here in that space. I love it, Christina. Christina, now you initially said you, when you first initially went back, mm -hmm. right after your bachelor's in social work, you went for a degree in counseling, had the seven-year gap, which we're never apologizing for having a seven-year gap and taking good care of our children. Right. Um, we're exactly where we're supposed to be in the time we're exactly supposed to be, right? Absolutely. And, but... With this time, when you got the opportunity to go back again, you chose social work. I do. I guess I'm curious why, if you had started in counseling, why did you decide to do the MSW versus the master's in counseling? All right, that's a great question. Um, again, while I was taking my hiatus and also working in the field, I fell in love with social work all over again. And I realized that I was doing therapy or counseling as a social worker. And so I was like, I felt like counseling had put me in more of a box. Like you only can do specific, you know, individual group counseling. But I felt as a social worker, I would open myself up to even more opportunities. So that's kind of how I just fell back in love with social work and where I still could do the counseling, but still do it on a much larger level. Christine, I heard you say you knew then to get your license. Mm -hmm. And I know I've heard your licensing story one time. And I think that is when I knew I wanted you to come on on the on the podcast. Do you mind sharing your licensing journey with us after you get your MSW? And then you what made you decide to do the license? And what was that journey like for you? Absolutely. So once I got my MSW, I knew right away that I wanted to get my license. And so I I studied, I studied. Now, mind you, is <laughs> I, I will just share. Tests were not my thing. I have test anxiety really, really bad. And so um, I was excited, but I knew I wanted to get it and I knew I could get it. So I studied maybe for about three, four months. And I went ahead and just kind of made myself take the test because I knew if I delayed anymore, I wasn't going to take it. And so my first time I took it, I missed it by six points. 
And so I studied again and waited my allotted time before I had to take it again. And I took it immediately after that. Again, the second time I felt well studied, well prepared, but I missed it by two points. <laughs> and so I just, again, went through a little period, like I'm sure most people would. I was just like, this is not for me, but I said, no, I'm going to get it. So I did. I went at the, I believe it was 90 days or something like that, where we had to wait. And so the third, this third time I made some changes and I felt like it definitely helped. I had just went through a job change, um, just major transition. I just wanted to switch it all the way up. I still studied, but I changed up my study regimen. Instead of just doing just individual studying by myself, I reached out to a study group. Um, I still did my individual sessions, but right before taking the test that third time, I made sure I did not study. I actually went and got a hotel and I spent the night away from my family, just kind of decompressed in a nice hotel bed, just getting as relaxed as possible because I did not want to feel any type of nervousness or doubt or whatever. I just kind of want to get away from everything. And so the third time I took my test, that's when I actually passed it. And so I definitely believe because I did make some changes, I got myself out of a just a place um it wasn't very health, healthy for me at the time, work-wise, and got myself out of an unhealthy study routine and just kind of changed things up. I definitely feel like that played a major role into actually having me pass the test. So I'm glad I kept going and knew that I could get there and didn't get discouraged because I didn't get it the first time. I love that. You started that, too, with I knew I could do it. I think if, with that, I keep hearing that over and over for um, in the stories of folks who may have struggled to take the test that you knew you could do it right and so as long as you can hold on to that and just keep on you, you will get it you will pass that test right absolutely I love that you know there was a couple of things um, that you were saying that I have always taught my students and our supervisees when taking the test one get you a study group and I'm going to come back to that one in just a second but the second thing you said that I felt like was very helpful for me and I have told so many people is the night before and I've heard other people do differently but mm -hmm. I love this bit of advice and for those it resonates with please you know take it but the night before just put it all up you have studied all you can study your whole MSW degree has all the content you need is just put that thing away get you a hotel room or a room away from Airbnb, whatever you got to do, a room away from your day-to-day, -day. take really good care of yourself, eat a good meal, not a meal that would upset your tummy the next day, Absolutely. but a nice meal, right? maybe watch something funny on TV so you can laugh and get those endorphins going, take a brisk walk an hour or so before you take the test, get you some peppermint essential oils or a piece of peppermint and just relax. Do all that you can to make yourself as relaxed as possible, knowing that you can do it, and then go on in there and take that test and pass it. Yes, that's absolutely right. Love it. I love that you did that. I am curious, you know, I'm. this is going to lead us to the next question I have for you, Christina. Okay. Um, but I heard you say social work, you got you a, a study group that you work with. That was one of the things I did. I did not pass the clinical exam on the first try. So the second try, I was within a study group and it made a world of difference. Can you talk about how being in that study group, especially since you had two opportunities to do it on your own, what was the you know most standout difference in 
trying to do it on your own and being with the group or a community of others working towards the same goal. Absolutely. I feel the difference was we were able to play off each other's strengths, um, areas that I knew that I struggled in for for example, the human and behavior element of the test, that was the area where I had needed the most help. And in my study group, my classmate actually was strong in that area. So we were able to just kind of use our strengths and to help strengthen each other. Like, hey, you might want to try looking at this or this is what I use to remember this. And so it was very helpful, helpful just exchanging study tips. Um, also, too, um, it's helpful being in a community where you all can relate and we all were just trying to come together to pass the test. And so we was able to support each other and, you know, kind of check in on each other and be there for each other, even when we didn't pass, if that was the case. So I think it definitely was very helpful just having that community of people who understands what you're going through, who can help build you up, who can help give you some helpful tips or suggestions of what they've done or ways they may remember certain information and just ultimately like I said just that support that you need and I think it made all the difference absolutely it really really does and you know the uh, some of the ladies that I because I took my clinical exam over a decade ago and we're still Facebook friends and you know kind of keep up with each other that way, that community of those women working towards, you know, clinical licensure with me, we are still in contact to this day. It's it's how we build relationships. I love it. This Absolutely. leads me to, to my next question, which is, you know, one of the premises of this particular podcast is to create community, right? And yeah. so I was curious, Christina, in what ways are you a part of specific social work communities and are there any communities that you have created that some social workers may be a part of? Okay, well, I'm currently a part of the Social Work of Goddesses Clinical Supervision um, Community. I love so much. It's definitely helpful. Again, just being around a community of people who understand where you are, your journey, and can help build you up, strengthen you, encourage you, give you different helpful tips and things that they, they utilize that might help. And also, it's just a good um, way of just having a, a wealth of knowledge and resources. I love it. Um, as far as... Um, other social work communities actually in this new year 2024 one of my goals was to actually join the national association of social work so that's a new community that i'm going to go ahead and become a part of and i'm so excited because again i feel like just networking and just having and being a part of a community is so important especially in our field because we, we all we have, nobody, I feel, in my opinion, nobody understands social work like social workers. And so it, it only makes sense to just be a part of a community where like-minded people can come together, support each other, uh, exchange resources. Um, I feel like that's the best way we can make the biggest impact. So yes, that's my goal for 2024. That is a great goal. You know, I encourage everybody, yes. <laughs> all social workers <laughs> to get involved with not only the national level NASW, but your local level as well. It, it, it could open doors you didn't even know were possible for you. So I'm really excited for you and can't wait to hear some feedback on that and what benefits you thought it brought you over the next year. 
Christine, are there any communities that you've created that, you know, it doesn't have to be a professional community. It could be a community within your communities that you've created that, you know, social workers, and you may not call yourself social workers, but, you know, social workers may show up at and or be a part of. Okay, definitely. Um, as you mentioned before in my bio, um, I'm the worship pastor at my church. And so a part of that, um, not only we do just the worship uh, ministry, music ministry, but a part of that, we have small groups that I'm the leader of. And so part of that, I like to, of course, we meet weekly. And I also like to bring in different people. And sometimes that is social workers. <laughs> I bring in different people. Just kind of, again, um, not just pour it within from the spiritual side, but on the natural side, just kind of let them know what resources are out there. Um, we share a lot in that group and end up praying together and just kind of, again, checking in on one another so that's the kind of a group I created again it's not just social work based but we do have other social workers and licensed therapists and um, just different community um, leaders come together where we kind of just share and exchange and build each other up so that's something I'm doing I love it I love it using your skill set outside of the profession but also reminding social workers which is the one of the points of the question is your communities are outside, you know, have that balance of work life and find communities outside of your profession that you're already a part of and are like-minded people are a part of already. So yeah. I love that. And you know, one of the things I was reminded of when you just answered that question is that you ask your clients when you're first meeting them and building that rapport, what's your favorite music? I wrote that down because that's what I'm going to start using with my clients. What are some of the results? Christina, of asking that question with some of your maybe tougher, more difficult clients, what has been the result of asking that question to them? It's always so funny because I get all kinds of reactions, especially working with young people. You have the surprise look like, what did you just ask me? Um, sometimes you have the automatic, just the smile will come and just like, oh my goodness, Miss Arna, I love rap, I love hip hop, I love these things. And they just all the guard that they had when they you first came in just immediately goes away. I've had some more challenging that's, you know, more reluctant. They'll kind of, you know, maybe get a little quiet or reserved and think about their answer first. And then so usually at that time, I just kind of start with my example and just leading it. And then eventually they'll come along. But I've gotten so many mixed reviews. But in the end, it always turns out positive. So I just kind of made that a part of my engagement routine because I feel like music is so universal. I mean, it's a language of its own. And for the most part, it brings people together. And so even if you agree to disagree, it's still a good conversationalist piece. So I love to ask that every time when I meet a new client. I might have to start asking it on the podcast. I often <laughs> Absolutely. Say, I know, right? I often say um, that music is the soundtrack of our lives. I'm sure it was in a book or a movie I heard. I'm not going to say credit for it, but it is the soundtrack of our lives. And I can really just imagine how it can soften a client up when they start thinking about what their favorite music might be. What is your favorite music, Christina Arnold? My favorite, well, I have two. <laughs> I love R&B just because when I do need to decompress, I need something sultry. I need something real melodic. But of course, again, I'm a worship pastor. I love me a good gospel number too. So when I need some encouragement or need something that's going to help 
take away some of those negative thoughts I may have, I turn to gospel. But yes, it's a good mixture. But I, I like to kind of listen to some of everything every now and then just to kind of see. I love to be kind of connected. Um, I think that's helpful, especially when it comes to uh, cultural diversity. I like to dabble in a little country, a little eclectic. I listen to some of everything, but my two favorites definitely R&B and gospel. Such a social work answer. Such <laughs> a, a beautiful social work answer. Because I was wondering, like, with your clients, if they had a music genre and or a song that um, you had not heard, would you be willing, as part of maybe the next session or whatever, to have done your own homework and listen to one of their songs that they mentioned and or that genre of music so that you can bring that with you into the next session? Absolutely. I've done that. And I've also encouraged some of my other therapists that I work with to do the same. And I've actually had some of my therapists that I um, that DYS contracts with, they actually implemented that with the child's treatment plan. Like if they're having a bad day or their coping skill is listening to music, they'll allow them a certain amount of time to just kind of listen to their favorite genre music. And they'll just kind of set the tone for them to kind of redirect, regroup, and they'll keep continuing with the treatment. So definitely. That's the whole curriculum right there. Social work. <laughs> I believe so. Yes. And you're the perfect person to write it. Social work and music-based interventions. There you go. <laughs> there you go. Thank you. <laughs> and you know, my initial question was, and I backed up on it, but my initial question was, do you see how music is being infused in your professional life? And I saw your face a little bit, but then I'm like, here it is. You're doing it with your clients as part of their intervention, as part of their treatment planning. You're seeing some outcome. And now all we got to do is collect the data so that we can show that music works in the therapeutic uh, setting. Absolutely. Sounds good. Yes. Sounds like it's coming in the future. <laughs> yes, Dr. Christina Arnold. I yes. love it. I love it. Okay. I got excited. I saw a vision for you <laughs> that I did <laughs> that I didn't see before. Christina, what is one belief about social work that you started your journey with that you feel has changed the most since you started off? This is going to sound really cliche, but I still think it's very true. When I initially did agree to do or knew I wanted to do social work, I just knew I was not going to make any money. They tell you that um in general every person I would have a conversation with and they say hi what are you in school for and I say social work everybody makes some kind of weird face like oh and so it was actually when I went to my got into the master's program where I had one professor who changed my whole mindset and the first thing she stated to us on the first day was it is about the money <laughs> and I was like really and she's like, yeah, she wanted us to, she was like, I already know I've been doing this for so many years and everybody comes here and says, I want to help people and I'm not doing it for the money. And she said, I want to start off right. It is all about the money and it's there in this field. And so ever since then, and just kind of talking with different social workers and seeing the different uh, ways social workers can make money and that there is money in this field, Absolutely. I've definitely had that change of heart and change of belief. And I also share that with my um, co-workers and, and even my superiors. When I go into a job interview, 
that's one of my questions for them. How can I grow? What are the growing opportunities here? Because I do want to grow. And that also means my money's going to grow. So that is definitely the one major belief that initially I thought social work is no money. Yeah, well, that's not true. So you'll get your money. <laughs> yes, it is about the money. Who can we shout out? Who infused you with that? That wisdom? was Professor Jackson at Troy Yes, University. yes, yes. yes. <laughs> And she is newly minted, Dr. Jackson, I heard yes, recently. So Dr. Yes, Jackson, yes. Yes, want to give her her accolades and give her her flowers. I love that she gave you that gift. And it also sounds like um, that has given you, you know, because when we talk about salary negotiation and social workers, oftentimes you're like, oh, my God, I'm so scared to have that conversation. But it seemed like Dr. Jackson was able to give you that injection and give you that confidence and that square to stand on that when you're going into these spaces to do salary negotiation, it's just the foundation of who you are as a social worker. Absolutely. And I was definitely appreciative that she was able to break the ice and actually, like you said, go over that because we did talk about that in a couple of the courses, negotiating, knowing your worth, knowing your value, being able to articulate what you bring to the profession so that you can get what you a fair wage. And I definitely agree with that. And I use that. I mean, I know you're another one, Renita, who encourages us to negotiate. This is what you bring. You deserve it because you work really hard. You deserve it. And so I'm definitely appreciative. Appreciative to Dr. Jackson and you for again encouraging myself and and we encourage others that it's out there for us. So all we have to do is just go get it. That's it. Get that bag. Get Absolutely. that bag. Yes, <laughs> I love it. Christina, I have just one last question. It looks like for you today. Um, you know, we didn't really talk about it, but in your bio. You, you know, mentioned being married, you mentioned your beautiful eight-year-old art-loving daughter and your community, the, the worship team that you lead and being the worship leader, that's part of being a, a part of a ministry. So I'm imagining the extended communities that having been the leader brings to you. So it feels like you have this I'm ambitious. I'm going to be about my bag. <laughs> I'm going to work <laughs> in places that I enjoy that want me there and I want to be there. And one of the things I know to be true about you is you're going after certifications and, and courses that will lead you to becoming an expert in this field that you're so passionate about. Yeah. But then on the other side, you have this beautiful family and community that you're cultivating as well. So I was thinking about work-life balance and what fills your cup? And is there any advice that you can give social workers out there who may be struggling to fill their cup right now? Absolutely. First of all, you are important. So everything that you're doing for your clients, you have to be intentional and make sure that you do for yourself. Self-care is so important. I know for me personally, the last year, year and a half, that's been one of my intentions. I definitely believe that self-care is very important. And so I do that. I make sure I'm intentional. I make sure that when I leave work, I leave work. I make sure that when I'm home with my family, if I need to take a few minutes to decompress, I might sit in the car for a little bit, but I don't want to bring my work worries home. And just making sure that even with my family, um, just having that time time where we can just kind of bond but when I need some alone time too I'll take that and just kind of decompress um 
again, that self-care, I wish I, I can't say it enough because it's so important. I see so many people in our field get burned out so easily because we do when we pour for so many people and we put so many people ahead of ourselves because that's what we feel that we're supposed to do. But how can you pour when you're empty? So definitely self-care is very important and just being present. Um, I'll share, um, I know in social work, our group, Renita, um, on last year, we all had shared what our intentions was in like one word. And my word was stillness, being present. And that's definitely was very helpful for 2023. And so I think that's something I would encourage to just checking in with yourself. I feel like that's a part of self-care, um, making sure that you're well. If you do need help, get help. Um, take time to go to the doctor. Do those walks. Go outside and get some fresh air. Take deep breaths. Decompress. Just know that, you know, the world won't end if you just can't do it all. And so I'm actively working on that myself, and I encourage others to do the same. You can't do everything. You can't save everyone. And that's okay, accepting that, you know, but what you can do, do it well. And watch how once you make sure that you take care of yourself, you'll be able to take care of so many other people. Really well. I love that. That was so, it felt like a warm hug, yeah. you know, <laughs> and Christina, we've been together now about a year and a half. And I remember meeting you and the version of you I met was a bit frazzled. And one of the things that I have loved seeing as I, you know, get to see you grow in the social work journey is that you had that self-care when it was like one week you were like frazzled and the next week there was this intentionality behind self-care and ever since then there's just been this softness around you that got me to thinking sometimes the organizations we're in don't lead us to getting the self because everybody around us is frazzled so we think that this is just how it's supposed to be and or the you know the type of work that we're doing just doesn't you know lend to having a self-care moment can you speak to making sure the organization that you're in matches the energy that you're able to to hold for other people absolutely like I previously mentioned I went through a time of transition and I knew that it played a major role not only in getting my license but just and me being a healthier version of me, um, like you mentioned, right when I started supervision, that was in that during that time of transition. So you probably did see some of the frustration and tiredness and just coming out of a toxic place. Um, I wouldn't say me person personally was toxic, but I was in a toxic environment work wise. And so it definitely overflowed on the inside. I was really just sad all the time and just kind of down all the time. And so when I came out, it was still even an adjustment period. And so just coming out of that, knowing, you know, I didn't want to be there anymore, but just kind of navigating my new space was still kind of, you know, jarring. And so when I joined Supervision, just hearing again from the community here, when you shared and some of our fellow social workers shared and saw that I wasn't alone, it was almost like a light bulb came on. And I believe at one point you got me together very early. It was like, look, no, <laughs> like you are worth doing this way. You know, whatever you share with me, I won't go into detail, but you definitely lit a fire up under me. And I think, like I said, I was intentional. That was the jump started I needed to really just put myself first. I know sometimes it sounds really selfish, but 
like I tell some of my clients, it's okay to be selfish sometimes. And that self-care is not really selfish, but it's a means of survival. Because if you don't take care of yourself, you can't take care of anybody else. And so once I received that, yeah, the change was immediate. And so I'm, again, just appreciative. And I want to encourage everybody who's hearing this podcast, self-care is so important. Don't run yourself down for any job because that job will replace you as soon as you're unable to do so. And I see that so much in our field, which is very discouraging. Um, We have so many people who give everything to those jobs. And by the time you burn all the way out or you're forced into medical, early medical retirement and things of this nature. These are things I've just, I've seen in my, you know, personal experience. And it's so disheartening. I feel like it's important. Um, Even when I made my transition, it was scary for me. Um, I didn't want to leave a stable job like I did and went to something that was maybe not as um, cookie cutter and laid out like what I had before, but I'm so glad I did take that leap of faith. And now that not so stable cookie cutter job became something stable. And now I'm even healthier and better because of it and have so much more freedom and flexibility and still am doing what I love to do, but in a a healthier environment. So I do, I encourage you to take that leap. Don't allow yourself or don't feel that you have to stay stuck somewhere that's not serving you. You can serve and be of help anywhere. And so I encourage everybody to find that healthy place, do something different. Don't be scared. Just get out there and try something different and watch how you'll blossom and be much healthier for it. Absolutely. And that goes back to my initial question about you oozing creativity. When you're able to have more flexibility and you're able to, you know, you even mentioned the recovery time from leaving a toxic work environment to going into a safer, even if it's unknown, um, or at least healthier, we'll say healthier work environment to give yourself a little bit of grace and while you recover from that, right? We, you know, Absolutely. we talk about our clients having traumas and letting them recover, even when we're having our own traumas uh, from a toxic environment to now a healthier environment, giving yourself some recovery time. But then once you make an intention to be like, okay, I'm gonna put me first, you stuck with it. You have stuck Absolutely. with it. And it looks good on you. It really does. Yeah. <laughs> that was awesome, Chrissy. I got encouraged as well. Christina, thank you for joining the Goddesses of Social Work podcast today. It was such a joy having you. Thank you for having me. And I look forward to hearing all the feedback because I know that this podcast is going to do major numbers and inspire so many people to just keep going and that you're not alone. So thanks again for having me. Absolutely. And we receive that. We receive that blessing. Thank you for listening to today's episode of the Goddesses of Social Work podcast. We are glad you were here. If you like this episode, please come back to hear more stories of the journeys through social work and please leave us a review on Apple or Spotify. See you next time here on the Goddesses of Social Work podcast.